0: well it is good to be here uh, with you all um, in one sense it seems kind of surreal uh and and weird to be to be leaving i it I felt like I felt very emotional in the first few weeks when I knew I was gonna be going but hadn't actually announced it yet or when it was seeming that way and then that was several months ago and I've been so busy packing and it's almost like numb but it's all starting to hit a little bit again here now um, but I want to thank you for the last four years it's been a privilege uh, to be to be serving you all to be to be here with you to count you as brothers and sisters to have second sets of aunties and uncles for my my kids as well uh, we've all we've all enjoyed it and it's been a yeah, I never thought that when we first left the first time, which actually was like five years ago, almost probably to the day, I think, that we would actually be coming back just a year later um, uh, to a place really that we, we we call home and to a congregation that we've called home. Uh, but enough of that right now. Uh, we're here to hear to worship God, and part of that is from listening to Him to what He has to say to us. This morning, and so our passage this morning is going to be from Psalm 77, but I want to pray for us as we begin. Lord God, you are good. It is your nature. You cannot help but be good, even if you didn't, even if you wanted to be anything other than good, which you do not, and we thank you for that, for always being who you are, and that includes with your word. As it goes out, it is good. But Lord, we need to hear it because we need to hear good things. We hear other things throughout the weeks. We hear even even things in our own hearts and our own thoughts that are not good, but we need to come back here and to focus again upon who you are. And thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for giving us Jesus who stands at the center of it, Uh, Thank you for your spirit who goes forth with us or with with your word as it's preached and is with us right here to bring our hearts to life again as we hear what you have to say. And so as we listen, we pray that you would keep us attentive, uh, that that your spirit would take this word and pierce us with it so that your goodness then, God, would heal over those wounds and raise us back. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was, though, in the, the weeks leading up to today, I was really trying to think about what is it, this, it was the last sermon, what is it that I, I, I want to preach? What is it that I want to impart to you all for the last time from God's word? And as I thought over and over, really there was one passage that just kept coming to mind, and it was this one we're going to look at here Psalm 77. And it was July 2018. It was just over four years ago when I stood here and I preached when we were preparing for my family and I to come back here and to come back again to this community, to come back to this church that we consider home so much. And the text that I preached that first time there was this one, Psalm 77. And so in one sense, it's almost fitting that I end with the same passage. It provides these sort of bookends, and if you're into sentiments, that's kind of cool. But though, even though I do appreciate sentiments, that's not why I eventually chose this. I did this because this passage is still relevant to all of us here for in the four years since. In fact, when I first preached it, it was... Uh, about nine, you know, the heels from nine months from the fires. And here I'm preaching this again, and it's still just as relevant for us today as it was then. It's a psalm that I've spent a good deal of time dwelling on and thinking about and meditating, and it's helped actually to form part of my approach to, to ministry and in counseling and shepherding. In fact, it's very likely also that I have either read this psalm to some of you Or you may not have realized it, but I referenced it in some of our conversations. And this isn't the same sermon though I preached those four years ago. Uh, Rather, though, I hope it's rooted in some deeper thoughts uh, and deeper reflections that I've had now, which inevitably just come over the span of time. But so let me read Psalm 77 to us. This is the word of God. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of film class. And my professor asked us then what, what we thought was the most harmful film for a Christian. And our minds are were immediately going to the most... Graphic, obscene, you know, foul movies that we could think of. And then we're also like really hesitant about answering that with that because we thought people were going to judge us for having seen it. But his answer, though, that he gave was striking. His answer was Pollyanna. Now, Pollyanna, if you've never seen it, if you're not familiar with it, and this is actually not saying, too, if you like Pollyanna, this is not an indictment on you in any way. But I think, though, even if you like Pollyanna, we can all admit that it is the most benign, saccharine, syrupy movie that you could think of, where optimism reigns because everything will end up just fine and everyone is happy no matter the circumstances. Uh, Just smile, be glad, and keep on going as a way to cope with the difficulties of life. And the point of my professor was that this just isn't reality, especially for Christians. There is a certain hope for those who are in Christ, There's resurrection and there's restoration that is assured of. Praise God for that. Praise God that he has given us hope. But the hope of that there, the truth of all of that, doesn't just wipe away the pain and the sadness and the grief that we feel. There is a necessary space in our lives for lament and for sorrow. Because if not, We wouldn't have a psalm like this one today. This is a God-inspired psalm, a God-inspired song, a prayer. And if you actually count all of the, the psalms and you classify them according to genre, the highest percentage of psalms are what we would refer to as laments. So the more that we steep ourselves into and buy into the Pollyanna idea of life and faith, that there's, no room for tears, that we should just be glad and push away our grief because everything's going to be just fine, doesn't fit very well with the biblical outlook. And if that's the primary outlook of the church, then no wonder that people question God and they leave the faith in droves in the face of trials. We need a better theology of suffering. And Psalm 77 is an authentic cry to God in the midst of pain. And the author of this psalm even questions whether or not God is still there or whether he's changed. But it's important to recognize that the psalmist doesn't just stay there. True lament isn't just sadness or despair in difficult times, but it appeals to God to keep being who he is, steadfast and caring. And that's why even amid the difficulties, the psalmist here cries out to God. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. He knows that God hears the voices and the pleas of his people. God isn't too distant or far off. He is interested in hearing our cries and our prayers. And it doesn't matter how big or small those situations are that we're in. In one sense, our perception doesn't matter at all. The Psalms as a whole constantly refer to giving our fears to God, acknowledging them, vocalizing them over and over. But never once do they talk about the size. They don't say, Lord God, you only hear the big ones. Or, Lord, this one is probably small and insignificant, but maybe you'll take notice. They just say, bring your fears before the Lord doesn't matter how big they are, doesn't matter how small they are. Because sometimes the ones that appear really big aren't in the grand scheme that big of things. But also at the same time, the ones that really are big aren't actually that big in comparison to God. Again, he wants to hear your fears. Even if you're self-conscious and say, well, this is a small one. Because the reality is, is that if you are afraid of something, if you're anxious about something, then it isn't actually small to you. But God doesn't care about the size. What God cares about is you. It doesn't matter if you have anxieties, if you're facing death, or if you're just afraid of what the other kids at school might think. God says to bring all of those fears before him, no matter what. He hears them, and he wants to listen to you as as you unburden them to him. But the crisis here, though, is that to the psalmist's perception, it seems as if God isn't listening. He has desperate cries that continue into the evening. Day and night, he seeks and extends his hands, pleading that God would reveal himself. But the only response that he hears is silence. And so the question that he wrestles with internally is where is God? I'm in trouble, and he says that he hears my cries. So where is he? Is he absent? And why is he quiet? Have I done something to to bring this on? Is he angry with me? Does he even care? The difficult circumstances that we go through are only worsened when it appears as if we are alone and that God isn't there. And it adds to the weight that presses down on us and it grinds us further down into the the dirt left all alone to be crushed in the ground. And the psalmist describes these real life situations that many of us have gone through. Even down to the sleeplessness that he experiences. We see him laying on his bed at night Weary of his crying, he's so disturbed that not only can he not sleep, he can't even pray coherently. He says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. His prayers turn into these mumbled cries and sobbing moans. And what else is there to do than to think about the old times? Back when things were more pleasant, he tries to lift his spirits with this. And he remembers what he calls his song in the night. His song being the echoes and the memories of the past that were good. And he sings it into the the night, I think both the actual nighttime as he's laying on his bed, but also the night being the dark night of his soul. And he thinks about these moments to help bring himself some comfort, but it only adds though to more confusion and sadness because he was reminded about how things were. Those were the sweet moments that I had with God. Those were the times when I really experienced his favor. And this introduces a whole new crisis to him. In verses 7 through 9, has God changed? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? In other words, what if everything that I thought about God is actually wrong? Because if he were here with me, like I thought that he was before, then wouldn't things look a lot different? Maybe God's changed. Maybe his promises have finally run out. Maybe his favor towards me is over. Maybe his covenant faithfulness is done or he's denied it, or perhaps God hasn't changed. Maybe his disposition towards me has changed. Has his compassion run out? Is he no longer gracious to me? Maybe he shows his graciousness to other people, but he's just decided that he's done with me, or maybe I've never actually really belonged to him, and so therefore that graciousness just doesn't apply to me. See, some of our circumstances have a way of clouding our vision about God. And this most commonly happens when we go through difficulties. We measure God through the lenses of our experience. And we start to ask questions that mentally we know the answers to and that we affirm with our lips. But we're still led to question them in our hearts. And this is why when he meditates, it says in verse 3, he moans. His objective views of God are overtaken by his subjective circumstances. And that's where our views of God and, our, and his perceived absences run wild. Because he says he's there, but my situation tells me that he can't possibly be there in this time. And if he is there, then why am I suffering like this? It's led some people to, to have changed their views of God if they haven't just left him altogether. And at the least, it leads us to idle speculation about God and about ourselves. So what we need, what we need is our view of God to be grounded in reality. Our understanding of him just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's in who he says he is, but it's also in how he demonstrates who he says he is. I mean, someone can tell you that they're a very kind person, But unless they actually show it, those are just words, aren't they? That needs to be grounded in something firm and objective. And if we can't do that, then we're going to lose more and more people, young and old alike, to abandonment of the faith. Because experience is a powerful thing. We cannot ignore that. And when suffering arises and we say that God is gracious and that he's good, what is the basis that we can affirm that? We need to see God in light of what he's done in real history. And that's where the psalmist goes. Even though he's been wounded, and even though he's in this deep grief, he looks not only at God, but more importantly, he looks at the works of God. Rather than just meditating with speculation upon God in his circumstances, as we saw in verse 3, when I meditate, my spirit faints, he now, in verse 12, begins a new meditation. He begins to meditate on what God has accomplished in real time and space history. Without being grounded in any sense of reality, our thoughts will tend to go elsewhere, They question or they doubt. We don't remember for sentimentality. We remember in order to see God rightly. To be built up in faith and in remembrance of who he says he is and who he's proven by his acts. One of the the reflection quotes I have at the front is from Charles Spurgeon and it gets captured this so well. Memory is a fit handmaiden for faith. The events which the writer here of the psalm ponders again, the works of God that he thinks about is redemption. He goes and thinks about the Exodus event, the defining moment of redemption in Israel's history. When God heard the cries of his people when they were slaves and he rescued them out from their bondage with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he brought them out of their bonds because he loved them. Because he had made a covenant to their forefather, Abraham, as we had been talking about in Genesis this spring. These were his people and he loved them enough. And he was so fi- so committed to his covenant that he made that he was going to free them. And afterwards then, after he pulled them out and brought them through the Red Sea, he sealed them as his own people and he entered into a covenant relationship with them. He bound himself to them so that they would know him and that they would always be his, uh, his people and he would always be their God. And he led, leads them through the, the difficulties and the barrenness of the wilderness. He gave them food and water in the middle of a wasteland. And he even ensured that the clothing that they wore as they journeyed those 40 years didn't wear out. And if that's what he did for them, how could he abandon his people? How could he abandon not just the people as a whole, but even the individuals? How could he be absent? How could he just cast aside his promises? Everything that he had done would therefore have been in vain. So the faith here that we're talking about, the faith that the psalmist is referring to, is not a speculative faith about God. It's also not a blind faith. This is a call to trust in him, but not out of our own musings. Instead, it's to remember who God is no matter what the times are or no matter what your situation is. That you can trust him and take him at his word because he's proved it in the past. The more we look at, at God and less of ourselves, our perspective begins to change. I mean, even in this psalm right here, Note the focus of the pronouns. Note that it starts with I, 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 but by the end of the psalm, where do you get to? It switches to you, you, you. God is, or sorry, the psalmist is speaking directly to God. He's putting his, his gaze upon him. And it doesn't take away the grief or pain, but his focus slowly shifts away from what he's going through to looking at who God is and this is when he finally begins to have hope the psalm fades into the scene then of a violent storm filled with waves and wind and rain and thunder and lightning that are crashing down it's a storm under under the control and the obedience of god but it's still a dreadful storm nonetheless The storm here is a metaphor for whatever it is that he's going through and the emotions that he's feeling. It's chaotic. It's turbulent. It's unstable. There's nothing like a powerful storm that really shows our helplessness, doesn't it? You're unable to stop it. You're unable to divert it. You can't hide from it. It just looms overhead with this foreboding darkness and then suddenly it crashes down and all you can do is take cover and and hope to ride it out. So there's reasons that we use storms as metaphors for our fears and our grief-filled moments in life. It's just the same for the psalmist as it is for us. And sometimes the wind and the waves and the rains batter us over and over. And I know that some of you have felt that. Some of you have felt that for a very long time. But this picture of a storm, though, suddenly now begins to, to blur. It comes out of focus. And this moment of blurriness there, you can still hear the crashing of the, of the waters. You can see a little bit, you know, blurrily, the, the turbulent waters swirling around. But it begins to shift back into focus. And, we, and you see that it's not the image of a storm anymore. It's the image of a sea. In fact, it's the Red Sea. It's the waters that are opening up and dividing. And there's Israel passing through the middle of the waters safely on dry ground. It was there at the Red Sea that Israel had their backs against the wall. God had led them out of Egypt. He had rescued them and then he had brought them here to the, to the edge of the sea. But now the armies and the chariots of Pharaoh are emptied out of Egypt and they're in hot pursuit and they're pressing in on them. And they were trapped with the enemy on one side and the impassable sea on the other. And in their moment of hopelessness, they began to cry out and question why God had even led them out there in the first place. Did you bring us out here to die? Wasn't it better for us when we were slaves? Did something change about you? Or did we do something wrong? What about your promises and your care? Did they cease? But God intervened and he opened a way for them. He delivered them in their helplessness by bringing them through the sea. See, their path wasn't around the waters. Their path wasn't over the waters. Their path was through the waters. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I think, personally, there must have been a level of fear walking through those waters there. Seeing the the waters in these these two big walls on your side swirling and not knowing what's going to happen. I don't know about you. I think that's actually a fairly fearsome sight. But where was God in all of that? God was with them the whole time. He opened the way through the waters, and he was there alongside them as they walked through the raging sea. And this is where verse 19 is so good. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God's footprints were unseen. He had never left them. He had never once left them in their questioning. They could not see him, but he certainly wasn't absent from them. And even when he opened the pathway through the sea, he didn't just send them through alone to walk it in fear, but he went with them. He walked alongside them, and he wouldn't leave them even if they could not see him. See, the Lord of the Red Sea The God who guided Israel to safety and walked alongside them unseen is also the Lord of the storm, no matter what storms may assail and batter you. And just as he walked with unseen footsteps through the sea, he also walks alongside you with unseen footsteps in the storm. He will forge a path Though it may be fearsome, but he will be at your side the entire time. And as the storms come upon and batter you, as the darkness sets in, either in these current moments that you may be facing, as you can think about times past, or the moments that will certainly inevitably come at some point. In those moments, who is God? God is one who redeems And he's brought about his redemption in real history. The footprints of God may have been invisible with Israel passing through the Red Sea. But there was a point in history where his footprints were visible. Redemption came in Jesus. The son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory Our confidence in God amid the storm and the stress can be trusted because it has been set in concrete by Jesus Christ. In fact, we can't consider God without actually considering his work in Jesus. He is the objective redemption of God. God's people. His cross has redeemed us from all of our sins and the wrath of God as he took it in our place. His empty tomb has set us free from the shadow of fear and death. And he has replaced it instead with hope and resurrection. His life has become our righteousness. His sonship is the basis for our adoption and being loved and accepted into his family. And we ourselves as humanity were totally helpless in our sins. But Jesus came as God's redemption to make a way out of certain death and to lead us through into promise and life. Jesus himself also is the sign of God's steadfast covenant love. If he's given him to you, if you are in Christ, then what more can he do to prove his love and his care for you? Jesus is the bond of promise that has sealed you by faith into his people. But we can't forget also that Jesus also prayed this psalm. Growing up as a Jewish man, the psalms made up the, the everyday prayers and songs of worship. And as he sang this psalm, he also did so in the private moments of his own life. He sang and prayed them to God the Father. He prayed in the the Garden of Gethsemane just before his betrayal and and his crucifixion. He prayed essentially the contents of this psalm, knowing full well that the storm was about to wash over him over and over. And it was troubling to him beyond comprehension. But yet as he hung on the cross also too, he cried out in his darkness. And in turn, what did he hear? nothing but the deafening silence of the Father's wrath. Yet the difference, though, is that he ultimately trusted the whole way through that his Father would see him through that storm, see him through the sea all the way to resurrection and glory. But now, though, now as Jesus walks alongside you, as he prays and intercedes for you in in your darkest struggles, he does so... With the deepest sympathy and gentleness, because he knows what it's like. He's been there. He knows what it's like to be in utter darkness. He has endured the storms all the way to death. He has gone through helplessness. He knows what all of it feels like. He's lived it. And still, as he walks alongside you, he bears you up in your burdens. He knows how to pray for you in your weaknesses. He knows how to support you. He knows how to best care for you because he's been there. He knows he's a sympathetic high priest. And he walks beside you amid your storms and whatever questioning of God that you might have. Even when it seems that God might be absent, Christ is with you, though his footsteps may be unseen. And over my time that I've had with you all, over these last four years, I've seen what some of you have endured. I've seen what some of you have suffered through. And I just look out here and so many memories come forth here. When we first came, and still many of you are doing this, but working through the emotional trauma of loss from the fire. And coming to grips with that. I've seen so many of you suffer through physical pain. I've seen so many of you suffer through illness. I've seen you suffer through cancer. I know that many of you have watched your spouses suffer. I know that many of you have had family. That many of you have had close friends who have suffered. Even close friends who are children. I know some of you have lo- suffered the loss of grandchildren. I know some of you have suffered the loss of children in the womb. I know many of you have dealt with infertility and the dis- the disappointments that come with that. That many of you have brought your burdens to of anxiety, of de- depression, of other mental illnesses. So many of you have suffered through loneliness. Individuals have suffered through betrayal or just feeling dissatisfied in life. I know there are some of you who have lost jobs. I know there are some of you who have lost friendships. So many of you have endured family strife in one way or the other. Who have had children who have wandered away from the faith. Who have gone into substance abuse. And this is just some of the things that I know. There are so many things that I either have just forgotten. There are so many things that just simply I am not aware of. And so many of you have also suffered in silence. But no matter what it is that you have gone through, God has always been with you. He may have been unseen, but he has never once been absent. He has walked alongside you whether you realize it or not. Jesus has not once left your side. He knows and he cares and he will walk alongside you all the way until the end. I think it's key for us to note that at the end of this psalm, there's no resolution we don't find out what happens. Was he delivered or not? Did things get any better for him? We don't know. All that we're left with here is the remembrance of God's redeeming hand through the Red Sea. And his unseen footprints following with them. And really that's all that we need to know. As much as we would like to think there's no promise that things will turn out okay or just as we'd hoped. There's not even a direct uh, expression of solid confidence here, but what this does, though, do for us is it causes us to think about who God is in our situations, that he is sufficient, and that his presence is sufficient for us. As a pastor, I want to fix things. Uh, When I've counseled and shepherds some of you, I've wanted to just wave my pastor hand and make everything better, but that just doesn't work. First of all, there are plenty of situations that I just can't fix. I'm powerless to. And it's taken me some time, but I've found out that the best thing that I can often do is to just gently remind you that God is with you and that he will never leave. And I realize that may not make everything better, but this Despite your circumstances, um, it doesn't fix the situation here, but knowing that God isn't absent from you, despite your circumstances, despite what seems to be his absence, knowing that he's actually there, it doesn't make everything better, but it does make all the difference. There isn't one moment in the course, the entire course of human history where he has changed. And because of that, he will see you through. And that's what I want to leave you with. It doesn't matter your circumstances in life. It doesn't matter the storm that's battering you or what's assailing you. You have never once been abandoned. God has never been absent from you in your situation. He has led you through the storm and the sea, even though he was unseen. And he's unchanging. And his steadfast love for you will never change. And no matter what you will face in the future, both as individuals, but also as this congregation. He will still be with you, and he will still walk alongside you no matter what. God himself never changes. And even in this psalm, we don't have any indication that the situation for this person crying out changed. But you know what we do see a change in? We see a change in the psalmist. We see a change in us we become like the psalmist and we experience change as we better learn to remember God's redemptive care for us and to recognize him as the one who's walking alongside us. His situation may not have ended but his faith was renewed by dwelling on God's redemption and we've seen that redemption clearly given to us in Jesus. So no matter what, in whatever situation, whether in darkness or in gladness, don't look at God apart from considering who he is in Jesus. He's good. He's compassionate. And he will be alongside with you, walking with you, even until the end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, storms and whatever questioning of God that you might have, Even when it seems that God might be absent, Christ is with you, though his footsteps may be unseen. And over my time that I've had with you all, over these last four years, I've seen what some of you have endured, I've seen what some of you have suffered through. I just look out here, and so many memories come forth here. When we first came, and still many of you are doing this, but working through the emotional trauma of loss from the fire and coming to grips with that. I've seen so many of you suffer through physical pain. I've seen so many of you suffer through illness. I've seen you suffer through cancer. I know that many of you have watched your spouses suffer. I know that many of you have had family, that many of you have had close friends who have suffered, even close friends who are children. I know some of you have lo- suffered the loss of grandchildren. I know some of you have suffered the loss of children in the womb. I know many of you have dealt with infertility and the, the disappointments that come with that. That many of you have brought your burdens to, of anxiety, of de- depression, of other mental illnesses. So many of you have suffered through loneliness. Individuals have suffered through betrayal or just feeling dissatisfied in life. I know there are some of you who have lost jobs. I know there are some of you who have lost friendships. So many of you have endured family strife in one way or the other, or have had children who have wandered away from the faith, Who have gone into substance abuse. And this is just some of the things that I know. There are so many things that I either have just forgotten, There are so many things that just simply I am not aware of. And so many of you have also suffered in silence. But no matter what it is that you have gone through, God has always been with you. He may have been unseen, but he has never once been absent. He has walked alongside you whether you realize it or not. Jesus has not once left your side. He knows and he cares. And he will walk alongside you all the way until the end. I think it's key for us to note that at the end of this psalm, there's no resolution. We don't find out what happens. Was he delivered or not? Did things get any better for him? We don't know. All that we're left with here is the remembrance of God's redeeming hand through the Red Sea and his unseen footprints following with them. And really, that's all that we need to know. As much as we would like to think, there's no promise that things will turn out okay or just as we'd hoped. There's not even a direct ex- uh, expression of solid confidence here. But what this does, though, do for us is it causes us to think about who God is in our situations, that He is sufficient, and that His presence is sufficient for us. As a pastor, I want to fix things. Uh, When I've counseled and shepherded some of you, I've wanted to just wave my pastor hand and make everything better. But that just doesn't work. First of all, there are plenty of situations that I just can't fix. I'm powerless to. And it's taken me some time, but I've found out that the best thing that I can often do is to just gently remind you that God is with you and that he will never leave. And I realize that may not make everything better, despite your circumstances, um, it doesn't fix the situation here, but knowing that God isn't absent from you, despite your circumstances, despite what seems to be his absence, knowing that he's actually there, it doesn't make everything better, but it does make all the difference. There isn't one moment in the course, the entire course of human history where he has changed. And because of that, he will see you through. And that's what I want to leave you with. It doesn't matter your circumstances in life. It doesn't matter the storm that's battering you or what's assailing you. You have never once been abandoned. God has never been absent from you in your situation. He has led you through the storm and the sea even though he was unseen. And he's unchanging. And his steadfast love for you will never change. And no matter what you will face in the future, both as individuals, but also as this congregation. He will still be with you, and he will still walk alongside you no matter what. God himself never changes. And even in this psalm, we don't have any indication that the situation for this person crying out changed. But you know what we do see a change in? We see a change in the psalmist. We see a change in us we become like the psalmist and we experience change as we better learn to remember God's redemptive care for us and to recognize him as the one who's walking alongside us. His situation may not have ended, but his faith was renewed by dwelling on God's redemption. And we've seen that redemption clearly given to us in Jesus. So no matter what, in whatever situation, whether in darkness Or in gladness, don't look at God apart from considering who He is in Jesus. He's good, He's compassionate, and He will be alongside with you, walking with you, even until the end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord God,